Welcome to the Entrepreneur's Visiting Victor podcast with Victor Dadaj, where you'll hear stories and strategies to help increase your sales and grow your business. Here's your host, Victor Dadaj. All right, welcome to Entrepreneurs Visiting Victor. I'm your host, Victor Dadaj. I hope you are having an amazing day so far. Today, we have an awesome guest. He is the founder and CEO of Double Dare, which is an executive coaching and consulting practice which dares entrepreneurs and executives to fully live their unique talent, passion, and purpose. And since 1982, he has managed closely held family businesses, launched four for-profit companies, sold them later, and two not-for-profit organizations. And after he received his undergraduate degree from Brown University, he graduated summa cum laude from the University of Nebraska in Omaha with a master's degree in clinical counseling and as a licensed mental health therapist. He's also certified as an executive coach by the Coaches Training Institute and the International Coach Federation. And in 2007, he founded At Ease USA, a research accelerator that develops and distributes leading edge PTSD treatment technology for military families, first responders, first responders, survivors of domestic violence and sexual assault, and children recovering from abuse. And he published his first book, Playing Big, in 2013. So let's welcome Scott Anderson. How are you doing today, Scott? I'm great. Thank you, Victor. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you on. So I'd like you to you know, share your story, how you first got involved in becoming an entrepreneur. Sure. I uh, come from a long, long line of entrepreneurs uh, on both sides of my family and uh, uh, farmers and ranchers and small business owners mainly. And... Uh, who came to the United States in the first place to, to be entrepreneurs. And uh, so my, you know, I don't know if it's in my genes, or whether it's nature or nurture, but I just kind of grew up thinking that's what people did and that it was actually the, the it was less risky than having a, a job and uh, because you could kind of control your own destiny. And it was just kind of normal and natural for me. So I grew up with, uh, you know, the proverbial lemonade stand. I had a shoe shine business for a while when I was a little kid. And uh, I've just always had, always had businesses. Got it. All right. So it seems like you, yeah, you grew up around it. Both sides of your family were entrepreneurs, like you mentioned, farmers, ranchers, small business owners. And you grew up, it was less risky than working a job because in the end, you could control your own destiny. And we did the you know, stuff like having the lemonade stands and, and other things. And um, and when did you, you know, so obviously you did those things as a kid. And when did you, you know, first venture off solo as an entrepreneur afterwards? So like, you know, always starting your own business. When did that begin? Well, I had, uh, uh, you know, I had businesses while I was going to college. I had a I had a miniature advertising agency. I had a hot dog stand in uh, I went to school in Rhode Island. I had a hot dog stand in Providence, Rhode Island. Uh, which meant buying hot dogs from the mob, which was an interesting thing. Uh, but uh, yeah, I just, you know, I always had, I, I'd always had something going at a miniature publishing company for a while. And, uh, you know, those are sort of the, the beginning real businesses. Uh, I got involved. Uh, I was working in the advertising uh, business on the East Coast in, in Boston and in New York. And uh, my father died. When I was 20, let's see, 25, my father died kind of suddenly, uh, and uh, I came back to Omaha, Nebraska, where I'm from, 
to help run a family business because he was running it and died pretty young and there wasn't anybody to take it over. So uh, I kind of jumped in at a very young age and did my best to to turn this business around. It's interesting. This is a long time ago, but we complain about high interest rates today at you know four or five percent. But uh, in nineteen eighty uh, in nineteen eighty two, interest rates were seventeen and eighteen percent, and uh, you really couldn't do anything. Businesses were virtually frozen. So uh, anyway, that was that was sort of my introduction to bigger business. And uh, ran those businesses for, there were several related businesses and uh, ran those for four years till the economy finally improved, interest rates went down and uh, we sold, uh, there was a total of three businesses, which we sold to the, uh, to the employees. Got it. All right. So, yeah. So, yeah, you could see your journey. You were doing a whole bunch of things, running a little miniature ad agency, hot dog stand miniature publishing company. So yeah, so you've been, yeah, it's, it seems like pretty much since you were a little kid, you've been doing entrepreneurial stuff. And and then you came back, you were age 25, and because your dad died, you helped, you came back to help run the family business. And you're right, it was a difficult time in the early days, because as you mentioned, interest rates were 17 and 18%, inflation was out of whack. It was a really difficult time for businesses. And so you guys ran several businesses for four years, for four years, and then you sold three of them to the employees. Now, now, now I know you'd always had it in your blood because you ran a bunch of different businesses. How much would you say it helped when you came back at age 25 to run those businesses after your dad passed away? And what were some of the the things you still needed to learn because you were running the whole family business? Because you know, sure. it's gotta be it's gotta be also very tough as a young at a young age to be running so many things. Yeah, well, I mean, you know. Uh, first of all, I mean, I was 25 years old and at the time I felt like I was pretty old, but I mean, I, I realize now with children who are 25 that it's not very old and uh, you can't have very much life experience, number one. So there was that. Number two, I was really grieving my father's death because it was very sudden and, uh, you know, and, and horrible to go through. Um, so I was wet behind the ears in ways that I didn't even realize. I mean, when I think about it now, I think how crazy it was for me to be engaged in this family business. But at the time, there was nobody else who knew anything about it. There's no one in my family who had worked there except me. And uh, so, uh, you know, I was kind of the only one. But uh, so it was trial by fire for sure, you know, and I made a lot of mistakes. Um, and, uh, you know, mainly because I just didn't know what I didn't know. And uh, in my ex youthful exuberance, but also naivete. I made a, a lot of mistakes. Uh, you know, I fortunately I had some uh, more senior folks around me who were experienced and and uh, good business people that, in a lot of cases, saved me for myself. Um, and uh, you know, but so we we just kind of I had to grow up real fast, and uh, you know, had to really, you know, we had to persuade banks almost from day one. We had to persuade banks. Uh, with our, you know, we're in the construction equipment business, and that business was almost entirely frozen because of interest rates and because of uh, bid rigging investigations. A lot of our contracting customers were trying not to go to jail, and a lot of the bidding had just plain stopped. So anyway, it was a, it was a, uh, it was a really hard time, and um, for the entire industry, uh, not just for us. 
So, you know, at a very young age, I was going to banks and trying to persuade them why they should lend us money to continue in business. And uh, it was definitely a trial by fire. I mean, it was a great education. It was like, uh, you know, I mean, it was like one month of that was like two years in business school, I think. Uh, just the this, this sheer reality of it. But uh, anyway, we got through it. Thankfully, the economy improved. The interest rates went down and we were able to sell those companies. Uh, yeah, no, and, and you know, and, 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 and as you mentioned, it was a very difficult time because, you know, you, you lost your dad, it was very sudden, you were 25, so that's a tough time, you're dealing with all this grief, and you, at the same time, you have to run this business, and you mentioned it was a trial by fire, you made some mistakes, you had some youthful experience, and you mentioned that one thing that helped was you had some senior folks who helped guide you and helped uh, overcome some of those mistakes, so uh, before I continue, so would you say some of those senior folks acted as mentors to you? Because I know mentors are very helpful for a lot of people in succeeding. Yes. Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, I, I really had I just without them, I would have been in really serious trouble. And, uh, you know, also they were extremely patient with me because I, I really was so inexperienced. Uh, my experience to this point was running small entrepreneurial businesses and working in an advertising agency, which definitely gives you an insight into a lot of businesses, but it's completely different when, um, you know, you're running large group of people, um, uh, you, you know, betting on you know, in, bringing in expensive inventory and paying for it uh, as it arrives, hoping you can sell it. You know, there's some really big bets going on. So, um, yeah, absolutely. I had I had great people uh, around me, and not only really experienced, um, successful people, but just good people um, with great ethics and and values. Who, as I say, saved me for myself in more cases than I'd like to remember. Yeah, definitely, and and and, and I'm I'm glad to hear it because you know everyone people need some sort of mentorship. It helps them a lot. Like you said. It, helps you prevent more mistakes and it helps you guide you into the right path, which is what these senior folks did. And they were very patient with you because they have more experience with a larger business. Your experience is more of a small business, so it really helped you a lot and helped you grow as a person. And again, it was a lot, yeah, and, and for those that are listening, because you probably have some new people who are thinking, maybe new entrepreneurs or people thinking of becoming entrepreneurs. And sometimes people are getting into, they think it's all a smooth ride. As and, and yeah. you could share yeah. with your experience. It's not always a smooth ride. You went through a lot of difficulties, especially when you came back to Omaha, Nebraska, and he had to go to banks to try to convince him to lend money, which was at a time where a lot of banks weren't lending money, so it was not easy. To That's right. Up. Yeah, and um, but uh, and you know, you said it was a great education. You know, like one month of what you went through is equal to two years of business, and and I'm sure because you went through a lot of adversity during those years. So would you talk, you know, talk a little bit more as to uh, how it shaped you because a lot of times people, a lot of people don't want to deal with it first, but when they deal with it and they overcome it, it makes them stronger and it makes them, um, you know, more successful. Also helps them help other people, helps mentors. So you talk a little bit about overcoming adversity. Sure. Well, you know, and uh, I mean, the the adversity really to begin with was just sheer inexperience and uh, just the overwhelm, a combination of grief on the one hand and tremendous responsibility on the other. And so, you know, there was no other option but to rise to the occasion. And I didn't, you know, I wasn't perfect at that, but, but you know, I had to, I had to grow up real quick. And so that was, that was, uh, 
you know, I think I grew more the first year after I got into this role and back in the, in my hometown and my family business than I had in a long time because I absolutely had to. And, uh, you know, I had to be willing to, uh, uh, you know, to, to make some mistakes that were inevitable and uh, ask for advice and really to have the humility to listen to other people, which when you're 25 is difficult. You kind of, I see this in my own kids sometimes and, uh, and in 25 year olds generally that it's, you know, at 25, a lot of kids think they've got it figured out. And uh, I was not an exception to that, but I, you know, I, I, uh, the situation was kind of overwhelming enough where I really had to acknowledge that, boy, I really need help. I need advice. Um, and the stakes were high enough that there were, you know, I could make some mistakes, but there are some mistakes I couldn't make. And, uh, so, you know, in retrospect, I think uh, uh, it, you know, gave me a real respect for a lot of, uh, for the seniority of other people, for the experience of other people, for what they knew, for the mistakes they could save me, for the time and money they could save me, um, you know, the, even the embarrassment they could save me. Uh, uh, you know, and, and also the other thing that, that you just don't get in, I had always run small, tiny businesses with few or no employees. And at this point, you know, I was signing paychecks, uh, you know, every two weeks. And, you know, you really get that these people and their families are depending on this company for their livelihoods. And which is a very sobering and humbling thing to go through. And as you know, in, in 80, 82 and 83, you know, the survival of our company was in question. And so were the jobs of the folks we employed. And uh, so, you know, all of this became very real. It was no longer, uh, you know, theoretical. And a lot of people who have, a lot of people want to have, you know, own their own business or be a senior executive in a company, but they really can't see uh, at first the kind of responsibility that's involved and the, uh, the stake that you have in the, in, in, in what you're doing. So, you know, the whole thing was very humbling and, and uh, enlightening for me. I mean, there's just so many things that, as I say, I couldn't have known, except I was sort of force-fed this experience. And so it was a great, you know, it was a great experience. Absolutely. Um, there's, you know, definitely trial by fire. Yeah, definitely. So you definitely had to learn a lot, um, especially in spite of so many things going on, so many people's lives, depending, you know, financial exactly. lives and depending on what you have to do. And, you know, you were, you, were, you, were, you could afford to make some mistakes, but there were other mistakes that you mentioned you could not afford to make. And um, and you had to grow up quickly. You mentioned you had to ask advice, listen to yeah. people, which, which, as you mentioned, it's not easy for a lot of younger people, frankly, for some older people as well. And it's, That's right. You're, you were willing to be teachable. I think that's one of the key secrets of being successful as an entrepreneur, being willing to listen to other people, always be teachable. And, and, and I think no matter how successful you always have to be, willing to continue to learn because once you stop learning you get into trouble but yeah like you said when you're 25 you're like you think you know it all you think you figure out you figure these old people they don't know what they're doing but they have a lot of wisdom and experience that could share with you and it's great you were humble enough to listen to these people because that changed the life of the business that you guys have so some really good stuff there uh next thing i'd like to ask you scott is you talk about the power of goal shedding versus goal setting and uh how entrepreneurs could um achieve more by setting fewer goals. Would you like to talk a little bit more about that? Sure. 
you know, I've learned both as an entrepreneur running my own businesses and especially in, in coaching lots of entrepreneurs and their businesses is that we, we tend to, uh, because we can, we, we tend to set a lot of, a lot of goals and, uh, you know, and as entrepreneurs, we're kind of, um, you know, kind of thrive in uh, in an atmosphere of perpetual challenge. Uh, but what we tend to do sometimes is to set too many goals um, that and that of of varying degrees and various levels of importance, and that that can really distract us from doing the most important things. Um, there's a great book called uh, the uh, The One Thing by Gary Keller that maybe you've read it, but it's a fantastic book. And it basically says, you know, at any one point in time, there's one thing that will knock down the most other dominoes. And what we tend to do sometimes as uh, entrepreneurs, in part because we can uh, kind of do a lot of things at once, or we think we can anyway, uh, we think that we should do lots of things at once. But my experience as an entrepreneur myself and in working with entrepreneurial owners and companies is that you know, it's really true what Keller says that at any one point in time, there's two or three things that will really make the biggest difference to grow your company the farthest and the fastest and best. And um, what we tend to do sometimes by setting too many goals and uh, going and moving in too many directions, and especially as entrepreneurs taking too much on ourselves, uh, that we hamstring our, our businesses. We really frustrate ourselves. Um, my experience with again, with my own companies and my clients' companies is that the biggest impediment to growth usually is the founder owner um, who is trying to do too much. And, uh, you know, in, in any one of us, as talented as we may be, there are two or three things that we do better uh, than anybody else in our company, let's say, and that are kind of our superpowers. And if we can focus 80% of our time on those things, then we'll move our companies much farther and much faster than we ever could by trying to do uh, everything. And but this this uh, of necessity requires us to shed a lot of things. So I take my clients through an audit process when I first start working with them to have them uh, keep track of their days for a week in fifteen minute increments to really understand what they are really truly doing each day and what almost all of our um, clients discover um, to varying degrees is that they're uh, of the things that they can do and only they can do as well and only they should be doing uh, instead of spending 80% of their time, if they're lucky, they spend 10 or 20% of their day doing the things that will really move the needle for their businesses and for their customers. And, um, but, you know, again, what happens is we get distracted. We also have, a lot of us have a hard time delegating or creating the right structure and systems um, so that we can get ourselves out of doing the things that may have been necessary to start the business. Uh, this is one of the traps of being a bootstrap founder is that, you know, we find we know how to do that. The problem is that after a couple of years, if you don't get out of the bootstrap founder role where you're doing everything, and your business will of necessity plateau. This is why I've seen so many of my clients plateau their businesses, and I did the same thing at a million dollars, at two million dollars, at five million, and so forth. Is because we we get into a um, we find something that works, and uh, we kind of get superstitious about it in a way 
and don't want to stop doing it for fear that the good times will stop rolling. Uh, but in fact, we create our own ceilings, our own plateaus. And uh, a lot of my clients, when I start working with them, that's why they want to work with me is to get unstuck and take a business from, let's say, 2 million in sales to 5 million in sales, for example, or 5 million to 20 million. Um, but that'll only happen. That change can only happen. And we can only break through that ceiling uh, if, if the entrepreneur founder starts doing things very differently. And uh, typically it means doing, uh, uh, doing only a couple of things and focusing most of their attention. I have, just as an example, Victor, I have a client who's very successful, incredibly talented guy in the real estate development business who, uh, who builds uh, very successful uh, multifamily apartment buildings. And um, we went through this exercise with him and you know, we looked at what is the one thing that he does better than uh, not only everybody else in his company, but better than his competitors. What is his superpower? And what we discovered through a, a process of, of reflection on past projects is that what he did better than anybody else was that he could look at bare dirt and envision um, a, a complete multifamily uh, development. Uh, he could visualize and see opportunity better than anyone in his company and better than almost all of his competitors. But he was only spending 10 or 20% of his day tops actually engaged in that activity. So when we started to uh, reorganize his business and particularly delegate 80% of the tasks that other people could do better, faster, and cheaper, then he could spend 80% of his time looking at dirt and visualizing these opportunities. And that's when his business really took off. So that's sort of what I mean by goal shedding is that um, is, is to really focus on a couple of things that will really move the needle. And then you can grow your company not only farther and faster, but much, much more enjoyably. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that was some great wisdom you just shared there. And I definitely agree. The one thing that Gary Keller is an awesome book. I think yeah, this is yeah, something you definitely read it. Yeah, because too often, like you said, owners will try to do 27 different things and you're spread all around. And you can make some pretty decent money because there's some people who make 500,000 millions a year. But at a certain point, they fight so because they can only do so much. It's not scalable. Exactly. Yeah. So, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So instead of trying to do too many goals, too many things, focus on the one, two, or three things that you're really good at and no one else can do. Focus on that, make really good money, and then delegate the rest to other people. Hire them to go take care of it. And um, and imagine, I, I, I have a friend, um, this happened about maybe seven years ago. He was doing pretty well. He was making about ten to 15000 a month. And he went to an event that hosted by Frank Kearns, like a big electronic e-marketing guy. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So, oh, yeah. You know, yeah. So it was like a three-day event. And Frank was only there for like a number of hours, but he got into a 15-minute conversation with him. And he was asking for advice. So um, so Frank told him, so are you duplicating yourself? He says, what do you mean? It's like, um, are you doing everything yourself? Are you teaching other people to do what you can do so you can focus on the things you're great at and then the other stuff they can take care of? So if you're able right. to duplicate yourself, you're going to be a lot more successful. He's like, he said that 15-minute conversation changed his life. He went home, exactly. he called his friends up. He says, listen, you guys are moving in with me. I'm going to teach you everything that I know. And then he focused on the two or three things he was really good at. And after that, he never had less than 100000 a month every single month since then. Because yeah. he he did exactly what you said. He focused on the things that was good, so that other people were to do. And he started making a lot more. And then he, and, and he also, it made me think of what you said, 80-20. It makes me think of the 80-20 world. Because like, 
20% of the yes. things you're going to do is going to give you 80% of the results. And the other 80% exactly. you give 20% of the results. You give it to the other people. You delegate it to them. A lot of people don't know. Not all tasks are equal. There's the there would be a, a small amount of tasks that give you the majority of your business. So eighty twenty exactly. rule is definitely a good thing for people to look at. And um, yeah, also made me think of too many people focus on being busy versus being productive. The way you explained it, exactly. to be productive with that twenty percent, and you'll be. You know, there's a there's a great coach and businessman from Australia named James Shramko, and um, he talks about the something he calls the your effective hourly rate or EHR. And basically, you know, he asks you to divide your income by the number of hours you work a year. And that gives you roughly your effective hourly rate. So, you know, if you're making a hundred thousand dollars a year, depending on how many, you know, hours you work, your effective hourly rate is maybe $50 an hour. If you're making $200,000 a year, your effective hourly rate is approximately a hundred dollars an hour. But what he says is compare the the tasks that you're doing and um, the cost that someone else could could do the same task for. Um, and it's a really good kind of a stark way of looking at uh, not only the time you're wasting, but the money you're wasting. So, for example, if your effective hourly rate is 100 or $200 an hour, but you're doing tasks that someone could do for $20 an hour, you're losing 100 or $200 an hour. Um, and it's, I think it's just a really effective way, especially for entrepreneurs, to look at the opportunity cost of doing everything themselves. Um, and, and this is what we find, we found in case after case after case, that not only can these other people do things uh, for a lot less money, but typically they're experts in doing tasks that aren't the, um, the superpower of the entrepreneur and can actually do these tasks not only cheaper, but more importantly, they can do them better and faster um, at, a, at a deep, deep discount to the entrepreneur's effective hourly rate. So when you see that black and white opportunity cost, it's really pretty shocking. Uh, and, you know, and, and sometimes that's what it takes for an entrepreneur to see, oh, my God, I've got to stop losing $100 an hour or $200 an hour or whatever it is. Uh, they have to see that opportunity cost. Uh, before they'll really consider shedding some of these some of these roles. Yeah, no, I like that. You're the guy you brought up, James Ramco, your effective hourly rate. Once you know what your hourly rate is, like fifty dollars an hour, hundred dollars, hundred dollars an hour, or two hundred. So, like, if yeah. you know, if you're in the Northeast, like where I am, and there's snow falling, but you know, if you're making two hundred dollars an hour, hire someone to clean your snow for you, so you can be you know, during right? two hours. Absolutely, you can, absolutely. You can make four hundred dollars instead of like you know trying to save fifty bucks by doing the snow yourself. So yeah, look at that opportunity. Exactly. And like you said, a lot of these people are, are experts at your weakness, and the successful people know that. So like one of my uh, mentors, Jack Campbell, with the success principles and uh, chicken soup for the soul. Yes, he says he's horrible at accounting, but he has his accountant. She takes care of everything. He doesn't worry about it. She's really good at what exactly. she does. She loves doing it. And he could focus on the things he's really good at. So, and he he knows the opportunity cost, which 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 you talked about. And uh, uh, you know, it's you got to know your numbers because you know, there's a saying: men lie, women lie, but numbers don't lie. Your numbers will tell you everything <laughs> about your business. That's right. That's so, right. One other thing I want to ask you about: you talk about uh, leadership versus followership. You want to talk a little bit more about that? Sure. Yeah, we have a leadership development program that's. You know, you talked about um, duplicating yourself or Frank Kern talked about duplicating yourself. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that's that's really what it does come down to at the end of the day. But the the, the problem uh, with so many of our uh, 
of our entrepreneurial companies is that we have people who are great salespeople or great accounting people or great operations people, but they don't have any training in leadership or management. And sometimes, I mean, there are some people that are just naturally better leaders than others. But my experience is that, you know, the, 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 the place where when, when uh, entrepreneurs are trying to scale their businesses and trying to duplicate themselves, the problem isn't usually technical expertise. It's more leadership and management expertise. And so we've developed within Doubledare, we've developed a program to help entrepreneurs scale their up and coming leaders that they want to duplicate themselves. Uh, with an online leadership development program called Double Dare Academy. And mainly what we teach is the principle of developing followership. Because at the end of the day, uh, followership is entirely voluntary. You can't uh, threaten someone to follow you uh, in an effective way. You can't, threat, you can't uh, bribe someone to follow you, uh, at least not in a sustainable way. At the end of the day, people have to find a reason uh, to trust you is what it really boils down to. They have to trust you, uh, both your character and your professional competence. And if they don't have that, they won't follow you. So there's the the distinction we try to make is leadership is one thing, and we can lead our asses off. But the 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 only time we get to scale our businesses and significantly increase our income and lifestyle is if we can engender followership where people voluntarily and enthusiastically um, engage with us and follow and, and contribute to the vision that we've, we've created. And to do that is, you know, it requires a special kind of person doing some special things. Today, especially the workforce is so disengaged. The Gallup 2023 report on global uh, workforce engagement says that 77% of the American or the global workforce is disengaged, or in other words, uh, really doesn't care. They're they're either quietly quitting or loudly quitting. But 77% of the worldwide workforce is showing up in body only and not giving us, uh, as employers, not giving us um, all of their creativity, all of their heart and soul. But the only way to, to win the, the hearts and minds of folks to the point where they're willing to give everything they've got is if they really genuinely trust and believe in what you're doing and in you as a person. And unfortunately, that's that's not second nature to everybody. There are a lot of people who get power for the first time, even a small amount, and uh, they panic and micromanage, which is the really the mortal sin these days, um, or act out in some, some other toxic way and actually do your company a lot more harm than good. So we not only need technically uh, competent people, but we also people need people who understand how to create followership. And uh, that's what our Double Dare Academy program is all about. Yeah, no, definitely some good stuff there. And some of the things you say reminds you of some of the things John Maxwell says in his book. Because you, know, you can't be a dictator. You can't someone to, they got to want to play. They got to trust in you, believe in you, respect you, feel like you, exactly. you have their best interests in, in heart, feel like you guys have the same mission. And yeah, it's an interesting stat. 70, 77% of the global workforce is disengaged and doesn't care. That's, 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 that's a lot. And uh, so something- It is, it really done. is. Exactly. And, you know, the only way, and really to me, this is where the uh, companies, uh, entrepreneurial companies, like the people listening to your podcast, this is where the war is going to be uh, won or lost. We, the companies that can engage their teams 
because they are trustworthy and because they have a genuinely inspiring vision are the ones that are going to win. And uh, because it all boils down to workforce, uh, you know, if we're, unless we're going to remain very small plateaued uh, entrepreneurial bootstrap businesses, but if we want to outgrow that, the only way to do that is with systems and structure technology, of course, but really people. And, um, you know, if we can't do that, then we're going to stay plateaued forever. Yeah, that's all I agree with you on that. Um, one last thing I want to ask you is, uh, you talk about the imposter syndrome. You want to talk a little bit about the imposter syndrome is all about and what is the cost of having the imposter sure. syndrome? Sure. Yeah, we've worked with a lot of clients uh, and, and high-performing people generally uh, about where we're with imposter syndrome. And basically, what it comes down to is that uh, for a good chunk of high-achievement people, um, they uh, they kind of misunderstand their own success. And they kind of think, uh, and, you know, let's face it, entrepreneurs are an unusual subset of the of any given population. You know, it's like 1% to 5% have both the both the desire and the chutzpah and maybe the, I don't know, insanity to do this, to be an entrepreneur. But part of what entrepreneurs sometimes fall into is they look at their own success and they say, in spite of how hard they've worked and how much they've sacrificed and risked, they look at their success sometimes and think, boy, you know, this was really luck. I was, what got me to where I am is more luck than anything else. Or it was coincidence. And there's no question that luck and coincidence fate play a role, no question about it. But what happens with imposter syndrome is that people are afraid that sooner or later, people are going to find out that you're a fraud or an imposter and that your success is really uh, has come as a result of uh, nothing to do with you. Um, and uh, in a way, you could say that this is like runaway, uh, exaggerated humility because there's a lot, there's a bit of luck in everyone's success. Um, but this can get, this can become paralyzing with some people. Um, and they they become very risk intolerant uh, because they feel like, wow, my it's not me, it's not my talent, it's not my uh, effort, it's luck. It was just chance that got me to where I am. It was I knew the right people, let's say something like that. And when that becomes a, a chronic thought pattern, it can be very paralyzing. So uh, so we work with our a lot of clients uh, just to to help them kind of break through that. And a lot of, for a lot of people, it just helps to know, first of all, this is a very common thing. I presented to a, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Entrepreneurs Organization or EO. I, I presented to an EO chapter uh, in uh, a city one time on imposter syndrome. And I said, okay, how many people in this room, there are 50, 60 entrepreneurs, how many of you are feeling or have felt imposter syndrome? And every single hand went up. You know, so it's a very common thing for entrepreneurs, and it sometimes help them, helps them to realize that this is kind of a rite of passage all entrepreneurs go through, um, and there are some proven steps to, you know, to get through it. But a lot of people just find that it's helpful to know I'm not alone. I'm not the only one who feels this way. And so often entrepreneurs are at the, you know, they push, they're so uh, competitive and creative and innovative that they're pushing their businesses to the razor's edge where it feels like, wow, I'm, this feels kind of made up. You know, I mean, I hope this works. I, I don't know if it's going to. I sure hope it does uh, because they have higher risk tolerance and uh, are just driven to take more risks generally. And sometimes it can, that can feel fraudulent. They can feel like, I mean, is this real, what I'm saying? 
or is it bullshit? And uh, it's just part and parcel of being part of that unique part of the population that is an entrepreneur. Yeah, and you're right. Um, many entrepreneurs, we've all gone through that stage where we felt a little bit of that imposter syndrome. They're like saying, oh, I just got lucky. It's not really my talent, my work. And like you said, it right. can be a runaway, exaggerated humility. And that, in effect, can be paralyzing and can make you more risk and sound, more risk averse. And you just say, oh, I just need the right people. So I just have this lucky break. But um, it can cause a lot of issues and give it a plateau not going there because you're afraid to invest in yourself, invest more in your business. Exactly. But you're right. It's good to meet other people who feel the same way you did. You know, and you mentioned you went, you gave a talk, all 50, 60 people, you asked them how many of you have felt this composite syndrome, and every hand went up. So when you realize you're not alone and that it's more common, then you don't feel so bad. And it's, I guess, exactly. I guess it's, you feel more, it feels easy to work through it. So yeah, really some really great stuff, Scott. So listen, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. My the pleasure, show. Victor. Thank you. Yeah, you share a lot of great wisdom, a lot of great value, and a lot of great tips. And uh, so it's been a real pleasure having you on. And if people want to get in touch with you, Scott, what is the best way for them to contact you? Uh, the best way is to go to our website, double, which is double dare you, double dare you, double dare you dot us. And uh, lots of information there about uh, all the things we talked about, um, about uh, goal shedding, about defeating imposter syndrome, about scaling your company. Uh, lots of uh, good free information there. Double dare us. Awesome. Thanks again, Scott. Appreciate it. Have yourself a wonderful day. Thanks, Victor. My pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you've enjoyed listening, please smash that subscribe button so you don't miss any of our amazing episodes. Please also leave a five-star rating review and have an awesome day.